0: Good morning and welcome to an early edition of Bill Allen's Facebook class. We do this on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and we do that most every week of the year. And so you figure, well, there's going to be some schedule glitches at times that come up. And uh, we have a, uh, a memorial service for a wonderful godly man and member of our West Irwin Church family this afternoon. And so our thoughts and prayers and hearts are with uh, the Muncie family uh, and so that uh, allows us to be able to be a bit flexible and have this class on, um, on in the morning rather than in the afternoon so if you're not watching this live but are watching it a little later, that's okay if you're able to watch it live this morning at 10 a.m. then that's wonderful you'll be able to catch it in all the regular places after this is over on my Facebook page just by scrolling down also on our West Irwin Live and our West Irwin Church of Christ Facebook pages You'll be able to see it there. And on our West Irwin website, westirwin.com. Remember, Irwin is the name of our street, and it's spelled with an E-R-W-I-N. Been here since 1885, uh, our church has. And, um, and so you go to westirwin.com, uh, click on the Connections tab at the top, and scroll down and see uh, where it says uh, Live Streaming. Click on that page and then scroll down a bit and you'll see video archives and that's where uh, you'll be able to catch all of the, our previous lessons and sermons and as well as many of our worship assemblies. We'll be live streaming that funeral service this afternoon at 1.30 and so if you care to join in on that then I know uh, you'll be blessed because of remembering wonderful man I think of words like Paul's words to the Corinthians. Uh, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ and certainly Kenneth Muncy is one uh, who did uh, Just that so today we're in the Psalms as we always are on Thursdays looking at Timothy and Kathy Keller's wonderful devotional book uh, the songs of Jesus and The psalm that we're in today and the one that we'll look at next week are two I think of the most critical and important psalms In the Psalter, in the 150 chapters of the book of Psalms. Next week is Psalm 51, the great psalm of repentance, when King David pours out his heart to God in penitence, seeking his forgiveness uh, after being confronted with his sin with Bathsheba by the brave and courageous and faithful prophet Nathan. Later on, David would name one of his children Nathan. And it seems that that child is... um, Uh, is the ancestor of Mary, the earthly mother of Jesus, which is a whole nother study that I probably have spent too much time with already. (laughs) So let's get into Psalm 50. It's a psalm that speaks about true worship, but it really speaks a lot about uh, worship that God considers false and rejects. And it's interesting, the uh, deciding factor here, because it may not be what some of us might expect because it is something that has to do with our actions and our lives and how faithful we are in living according to what we say uh, we believe and practice. Um, And so today we'll be in Psalm uh, 50, very similar to great passages of scripture such as Isaiah 1 verses 10 through 20. Uh, Amos chapter 5 that says, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Uh, Hosea 6 that Jesus quotes a few times, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Uh, That's an amazing and challenging uh, statement. And Micah chapter 6, we know what the Lord requires of us, the prophet says. Um, And uh, that is a life of wonderful service, uh, to act justly, uh, to show mercy, and to walk humbly with our God, that great, great verse in Micah 6 verse 8. Psalm 50 sounds a lot like those. So let's get to it. Psalm 50, the first part, verses 1 through 6. The Mighty One, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. This is a judgment scene, and God is the judge. And uh, in a sense, God is actually not the judge. God is the district attorney. He's the prosecutor, but he summons all of creation uh, to come in and be a part of this. The Mighty One, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him, and around him a tempest rages. Verse 4, He summons the heavens above and the earth, that he may judge his people. The people of God, the chosen people, the Jews in the New Testament, the church, are the ones who are on trial here. Verse 5, Gather to me this consecrated people who made a covenant with me by sacrifice, God says. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. I don't know if that aspect of God makes you nervous, but it makes me plenty nervous that God is a God of justice. Because I look at my life and I see a lot of unfaithfulness. And that's why we seek the mercy of God that comes only through the blood of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, God sought his people and commanded them to stand before him on trial. Because he was not happy with them and he calls all of creation uh, to be the witnesses and the jury as he goes uh, against his people. Uh, we are startled to find that he is assembling the nations to witness as he brings testimony against his own people. Uh, it's the Jews that are on trial here. It's God who is the prosecutor. It's the nations in all of creation. Uh, that will stand as witnesses and jurists. God's judgment begins with God's household. Peter would later write in 1 Peter chapter 4, with our greater spiritual resources, God holds us more responsible for living as he prescribes. Luke had said, Jesus had said in Luke 12, to whom much is given, much will be required. And so we recognize it because we have been blessed so much uh, there is more required of us that God expects us uh, to be his faithful people, not just his people. Christians are more loved and pardoned through the blood of Christ, but we are also called uh, to a higher standard of living. You read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7, and it sounds like an impossible standard to uh, hold on to. And yet, there's nothing in Scripture that says Jesus does not expect us to live that way. He forgives us when we fall short, but that is the standard, the Word of God. Uh, We must, we must be faithful. Psalm 50 goes on, and now God is going to start getting specific. Verse 7, Listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices. Or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. And we're already surprised. That's what we, where we, we would have expected him to go. Hey, you're not upholding what the word describes. You're not doing what the law says you are to do. He says, I, I don't. I'm, that's not the charge. I'm not saying you're not offering the sacrifices that Moses commanded. I'm not saying that you're not offering the burnt offerings and all of the other things that the law commands. And then he goes on to explain that, verse 9, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. You, you've heard that statement before. Well, it's right here in Psalm 50. Uh, Everything is mine, God says. The cattle on a thousand hills, they're all mine. I don't need you to sacrifice them on the altar. That's not why you do that. Not because of uh, God is you're satisfying some need of the creator. The creator has no need for our worship, no need for our lives, no need for any of that. We are the ones who are in need. Verse 11, I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. God knows every insect. He he knows every bird. He knows uh, the cattle on a thousand hills. They're all his. If I were hungry, God says in verse 12, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? That's what they were commanded to sacrifice. And God says, that's not what I need. That's not why you do that. And then he says, what is true worship in verse 14? Sacrifice, thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call on me in the day of trouble. And I will deliver you and you will honor me. God has nothing against his people because they're breaking the law of Moses in the specific areas of worship. That's not his point here. You do all of that, God says, but what I want from you is your faithfulness. What I want from you is your heart. Sacrifice, thank offerings to God, which are those voluntary uh, uh, offerings and sacrifices that the law actually does not command. But when a person is grateful They could offer a special thank offering to God, much like the woman who came and uh, washed Jesus' feet with her tears and dried them with her hair and anointed them with uh, perfume. That was not something that the law required her to do, but she did that out of a heart of gratitude. That's what God wants. He wants worship out of hearts of gratitude for the blessings He's already given. Uh, he wants us to fulfill our vows. That's what he tells them. Sacrifice, thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High. Come through with what you're saying. Ecclesiastes would say, better not to vow than to vow and not come through. Don't. I love what Rudy Giuliani says in his book on leadership. One of his principles is um, under promise and over deliverer. And I think that's a great principle of leadership and of life for us. And that's what God is saying in Ecclesiastes. Don't promise me things that you're not going to do. God says, I don't need that. You don't need that. Uh, That's not being faithful. But when you do make a vow, fulfill it, God says. Uh, And then in verse 15, a very important statement. Call on me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will honor me. Call on me in the day of trouble, Psalm 50, verse 15. That's such an important statement and invitation from God. Sometimes we think, oh, I haven't been very faithful. I haven't been to church in forever, or I haven't read the Bible in so long, or I haven't been very faithful of late. And so we say, and now I need God. I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble, and I need his help, and I just feel so guilty calling on him today. God says, call on me today. Call on me in the day of trouble. Yes, he wants us to be faithful. Yes, he wants us to hold on to that vow that we might make, to continue to worship him and to serve him and to bring our prayers of gratitude to him, not just our prayers of need. But when we have those situations and we have those prayers of need, pray them. Go to God. God says, call on me in the day of trouble and I'll deliver you. And you will honor me. He wants us to honor him after that. Even if we haven't honored him before, call on him in the day of trouble and he'll deliver us. And then follow that up with a life that serves and honors God. You won't do it perfectly, but that's okay. That's why we have that constant forgiveness from the blood of Christ. 1 John 1 verse 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, continually cleanses us from all of our sins. Whatever your life has been up to now, if you are in trouble, call on God. Call on him in the day of trouble. God rebukes his people for two things, the killers write. The first is external religiosity without inward heart change. This is moralism, they say, and they're right. The idea that with our ethical life and religious observance, we can put God in our debt so that he owes us things as if he needed The blood of bulls and goats to survive as if he needed those sacrifices. He didn't need them and he doesn't need our songs of praise. He doesn't need our attendance. He doesn't need our faithful living. Those are not things that God needs. He commands those things and we are to do them absolutely, but we do them out of a heart of gratitude and we do them not in order to receive his forgiveness. We do them because we already have it. God tells us in his word about the response of faith in the New Testament. It is to believe in the Lord Jesus and that he was raised from the dead, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that he lives today. To repent of our sins, that word just means change, to change our lives, to start doing what he wants rather than what we want to confess that this is our intention and this is our belief, and then to be baptized. Yes, baptism is a part of the response of faith, and that's why the apostle Paul, as Saul of Tarsus in Acts nine and in Acts twenty-two, uh, was told even after three days of prayer and fasting to arise, get up, and be baptized and to wash his sins away. Oh, he had be- he was a believer. He saw Jesus face to face. And he had repented. He was praying and fasting for three days. But yet when Ananias comes to him, as Paul recounts it in Acts 22, verse 16, as Luke records it in Acts chapter 9, he was told to get up and be baptized and wash his sins away, calling on the name of the Lord. How do we call on the name of the Lord? We do that by acting in faith and responding to the gospel that Jesus died and was buried and was raised from the dead. Uh, That is our response of faith. But when we do that, we have that forgiveness. Now the question becomes, how should we live? Paul tells us that in Romans 6. He says, we are raised from baptism to live a new life. We die to sin. We're buried with Christ through baptism into death. That's literally what it says in Romans 6. And we are raised to live a new life. That's what Jesus meant when he told Nicodemus, you must be born again of water and the Spirit. Nicodemus would know that Jesus was talking about baptism there and that's why it was so unbelievable to him as if he had to go into his mother's womb and be born a second time. That's how unreasonable it seemed because he was a member of the ruling council. He was very high up in the Jewish authority, had no no clue that Jesus uh, would require him to be baptized like he required all these poor people and and sinners. And yet that's exactly what Jesus was calling him to do. And that's what he calls us to do as well. But when we do that, we receive that forgiveness. And now we live a faithful life, not in order to be saved, not in order to become right with God, because we act imperfectly if our salvation depends on our right living After we are raised to live that new life, after our uh, response of faith, after our baptism, then none of us will be saved because we don't do that perfectly. And that's what God was trying to tell the Jews in Psalm 50: that those the 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 way you live, the sacrifices you make, all of those things, those don't make you right with God because they can't take away sin. And that's what the point of the writer of Hebrews is. Grateful joy for our undeserved free salvation that comes through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ should be motivating all we do. Uh, Do you obey God because you feel like if you do that, he'll forgive your sins? And then you look back at the end of the day and you see those places where you erred and were unfaithful? and sin, you realize then you can't save yourself. The response of faith is based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. If Christ had not died, if that tomb had was still contained Jesus' body today, rather than being empty, then you could be baptized every day of your life and it wouldn't matter. And that's why it's a part of the response of faith, because it's based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, just as the Apostle Paul said. So let's go back to that final section of Psalm 50 before we close today, beginning in verse 16. He's already said, you can't save yourself. I don't need your sacrifices. I want you to obey the law, but I want it to come from a thankful heart. I want you to call on me in the day of trouble. I want your worship to be true from your heart out of a heart of gratitude and love but verse 16 of Psalm 50 to the wicked person God says what right have you to recite my laws or take my covenant on your lips you hate my instruction and cast my words behind you when you see a thief you join with him you throw in your lot with adulterers you use your mouth for evil and harness your tongue to deceit you sit and testify against your brother and slander your own mother's son When you did these things, verse 21, and I kept silent, God says, remember, we're still in court. You thought I was exactly like you, God says, But I now arraign you and set my accusations before you. Consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you to pieces with no one to rescue you. Those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me, and to the blameless I will show my salvation. The second thing the Kellers write, God rebukes his doctrinal profession of belief without life change. He tells them, look, you say that you're the people of God, much like Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 7, standing outside the temple in Jerusalem. uh, He told those people, you say that we are the people of God, the people of God, the people of God, we're safe. And Jeremiah safe to do all these detestable things, to live with injustice against others. Um, to, to be immoral in your uh, sexuality and in your life of unfaithfulness, really? And you say that because we're the people of God, you can do all those things. That's what Psalm 50 says as well. You do all these horrible things. You, you do not love your neighbor as yourself. And you think that because you make these sacrifices, you can keep living that way in spite of what the word of God says says. Psalm 50 condemns that. And God warns them, consider this or I will tear you to pieces with no one to rescue you. Uh, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, scripture says. And we don't want that. We don't want that. How can we avoid that? Verse 23 tells us, those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me into the blameless. I will show my salvation, not to the perfect, but to the ones who are on that path seeking to live obediently to God. Uh, They had a small concept of God in Psalm 50. Uh, They thought he was just like them, that he would go along with whatever they said and did. And that's just not true. And it's just not true today. And God requires a high price for our sins. And that price is the blood of Jesus. And so what we want to respond to God with is the response of faith out of a heart of penitence and belief. And to be raised to live a new life after that baptism, a life of gratitude that honors God and reveals salvation to the world. No one who is truly saved by faith and grace can fail to live a life that has changed, a life for God. And that's what Romans 6 says. It begins with the rhetorical question should with this wonderful <laughs> salvation that comes by faith, this wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ, trusting in his death, burial, and resurrection. Romans 6, verse 1 asks, Should we continue in sin so that grace might increase? Hey, let's let's make this sacrifice of Christ worthwhile by by sin, sin, sinning. <laughs> and Paul says, Absolutely not. And the reason is He points them back to their baptism. points them back to their response of faith. And he says in Romans 6 and the verses that follow, verse 1, We die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? For don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been buried with him through baptism into death. We die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We're raised to live a new life. And that's what Psalm 50 says. God wants us to call on him in the day of trouble. He wants us to offer genuine offerings and sacrifice and worship out of gratitude, out of thanksgiving in order to bless him. And he wants us to seek to live faithfully every day of our lives. Not in order to be saved, but because in his grace and in his mercy, he has saved us. And now we should live that way and that's what the gospel is all about. True worship is worship that is 24-7, 365, as our kids say. True worship is a life that is given over to Jesus Christ in humility, in gratitude, and in love. True worship loves the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and seeks to obey him according to his word, the Bible. True worship is to love our neighbor ourselves to seek to live lives of justice and consideration and respect and love let's close with prayer father we pray that we will live this way that we will give you our true worship out of a life of gratitude for the saving grace that comes through Jesus Christ his death his blood the hope that we have because the tomb is empty Now, Father, we offer you up our true worship. We seek to be obedient to your word, the Bible. We seek to do all that you command us, knowing that if we walk in the light, that blood of Jesus will forgive us of our sins, forgive us of those places where we fail you. We know you don't need our worship. We know you don't need our songs. We know you don't need our attendance. We know you don't need our right living. We don't do those things, Father, because you need them. We do those things, Father, because we need them and because you have commanded them. And so help us, Father, to be faithful. Help us to call on you in the day of trouble, whatever else is true. Help us to call on you in the day of trouble. And when you deliver us, and you will, help us to live lives that honor you and obey you and share your love and your word with others we pray these things father in jesus name amen god bless you i will see you on tuesday at the regular time at least i think so at three o'clock next thursday also i pray that god will give you a blessing today and every day